Uh, we appreciate that tonight. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. I want to encourage you to join us in the season of prayer and fasting. And uh, uh, Let me remind you again, uh, if you're pregnant uh, or a nursing mother, you should not be fasting. Small children, you know, don't have them fast. Have them fast uh, uh, candy. You know what would be really good to fast uh, over the next few days? How about fasting social media? Amen. And uh, if you say, oh, I'm not bound, fast it and see if you're bound. Amen. You say amen? And uh, say, you know, I really want God to get a hold of my heart, minister, We'll be here, our prayer meetings are every morning, and then uh, Monday and Tuesday night, Wednesday night, will be a tremendous atmosphere of faith. God will help us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to uh, uh, stir you towards this fast tonight, and uh, hopefully I'm not going to preach very long. But I was interested to, to, to find out the origin of the New Year's resolution. I mean, we hear that all the time, with resolutions and what people are resolving uh, to do uh, on and on, uh, but uh, the origin of it is fascinating because it comes from the 18th century Methodists of, of England, the ministry of John Wesley, who started the practice on New Year's Eve of having a prayer meeting in which they, they called it a watch night service, uh, and in this prayer meeting uh, they would spend time repenting uh, over things that had happened during the year uh, and uh, making promises to God and believing God for change in the coming year. And they would be so moved and they would say, God, as I go into this new year, I'm asking you to change me in very specific areas of life. And they would spend New Year's Eve doing that. And over time, uh, repentance became resolution. Um, and so today the resolutions are many times filled with nonsense. Uh, I want to get down to a pack of cigarettes uh, uh, a day, you know. I want to, uh, uh, you know, start drinking light beer. And, uh, and uh, this is where people are at today. But the idea was that we all know that we need to change. That we all know that uh, God wants to help us in areas of our life. And tonight I want to preach a sermon to give you a message that you can hang your hat on. When I say that, I just mean something that uh, is not abstract, but something that's very real and practical so that we can see change. And so I'm just calling this sermon, How to Live a Victorious 2015. And we're going to 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse 24, because as I was praying about this coming year, verse 27 was the verse that I felt very strongly about for this congregation. And I wanted to preach this on a Sunday night, uh, and uh, a verse, uh, maybe you can, if you don't have it underlined in your Bible, or maybe you haven't committed to memory, that you would take this verse, and you would pray about this verse this year, and what it means to you. So the Apostle Paul writes these words, beginning in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Verse 27. 
but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Last, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let me read that last verse to you again. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Father, help us tonight to discipline our bodies. God, you have called us to this task. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin and I want to talk about preparing to win because this is such an interesting passage of Scripture. Chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul's motivation for his ministry. You read the, uh, uh, this letter and you find him instructing and correcting the church uh, in many ways. But in chapter 9, it's like Paul uh, begins to allow them to see what drives him as a man of God, what motivates him. There were people who were wondering, what makes this man tick? Why so many sacrifices? How can he tolerate so many betrayals and so much violation? What causes this man uh, to move forward in God? Um, and so he allows us to see this um, in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, I believe that the Apostle Paul was a sports fan. Amen. I believe if he lived in the year 2015, he would be a Spurs fan and a Raiders fan. Anyway, you know, I can preach because there's a lot of victory here tonight. You know, I, I, you know some of you, I thought I was going to, I was preparing to, having to encourage you. Anyway, no, here's Paul. I believe he is into sports, uh, and he makes this statement. He says, when I run, I run to win. If this man was motivated, he said, I don't just participate. I am not here just to get, uh, uh, you know, a, a ribbon, an acknowledgement that I ran the race. Uh, but his attitude is, you know what, if I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to be the very best that I can be uh, at it. Uh, he had a drive to succeed. And I want to say to every man or every woman here, uh, you want to win this year. You don't want to just say, okay, I want to be a Christian this year. Uh, I'm not talking about succeeding over your brother. I'm talking about succeeding over the devil. Amen and succeeding over the flesh and over the world. Uh, and this is a year that you want to win. And if you're going to do this, uh, you're going to have to appreciate the principle of conditioning. Because what Paul is saying is he's saying, I condition myself uh, so that in the competition, uh, I am going to win. And I will not win if I do not condition myself. I like to tell the old story about the lousy high school football team uh, who was winless for several seasons and one day they played a game and once again they were defeated um, they were down their little town in Oklahoma was down um, and so as they piled into the locker room depressed after another loss um, finally one of the local businessmen had had enough he walked into this locker room uh, and decided he would motivate these boys. And he said, boys, next week we pray uh, our, our rival over in the next town. Uh, they're going to be coming here next week. I know they're undefeated and you guys have lost. But children, I'm going to motivate you. If you win this game, I'll buy every player on the team a new car. 
until these boys all of a sudden came alive. Uh, I will buy the coaches in you. And so, I mean, everybody's excited. Uh, and so I want you to practice hard. Uh, and next week, I want you to defeat this team. Um, and so those boys began to cheer. Um, they were so excited. The very next day, they showed up to practice. Word got out into the community. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Uh, they practiced hard all week long. Um, they had a huge pep rally. Uh, the day of the game, the entire city came out to see them lose. 52 to nothing because one week of practice does not make you a good football team that's why because uh, you can't condition yourself in five days because if you're going to be good if you're going to succeed you're going to have to condition yourself you're going to have to train and prepare yourself for the next battle and Paul is saying this everyone who competes for the prize is temperate self-controlled in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Listen to what Paul says. He says, victory is not an accident. You don't stumble yourself into a victory. You get the victory because you plan to get the victory. Because you prepare yourself to get uh, the victory. One of the accusations uh, that the enemy makes against the children of God is that you don't prepare for battle. You don't plan on winning. You just kind of hope that God shows up and bails you out at the last second. Remember the story where uh, Hezekiah is surrounded, Jerusalem is surrounded by Sennacherib, uh, and uh, one of the accusations made by Rabshakeh at uh, the Hezekiah is we could give you 2,000 horses if you are able to put riders on them. In other words, they're mocking them. They're saying, we could give you horses, uh, but you don't even have riders, people who know how to ride a horse. You haven't prepared yourself for victory. You're not planning to win. This is a mocking statement. The great prophet, Team Tebow, said this. He said, somewhere he is out there training while I am not. One day when we meet, he will win. This was, his, this was his motto. He said this is what drove him to practice uh, is because I have to be prepared because one day I'm going to be in the arena. To the Apostle Paul, listen to this tonight. Paul didn't just simply live by the Christian cliche. Paul didn't say, well, you know, I'm just going to say, devil, you're a liar. I'm not just going to show up and say in the name of Jesus. I'm not just going to show up and sing, I command you, Satan, in the name of the Lord. Pick up your weapons. And he says, listen, you cannot live your life by the cliche tonight. By just simply having a little religious mantra that you say. Uh, and then when you don't have victory, like, I don't understand. Uh, have you conditioned yourself? Are you preparing yourself to win uh, when you are in the arena? Because there has to be more than cliche. I want to give you tonight three keys to victory. Three ways that you and I must condition ourselves. And the first one is right here in our text where Paul says, I discipline my body. And I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, I like the New International Version better. Listen to what the New International Version says 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I beat my body and make it my slave. I beat my body and I make it my slave. I want you to think about this statement by the Apostle Paul. Because Paul says, 
I don't trust my body. I don't trust my flesh. I must be careful how I deal with my body because my flesh or my fallen nature is not my friend. And Paul says, if I am going to serve God successfully, then I have to have an adversary relationship with my own flesh and my own appetites. To Paul, his flesh was his biggest problem. I have to beat my body. And so he gives us a little insight about how he dealt with himself, how he dealt with his own appetites. In Romans 8, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. He's writing that to Roman Christians. If you live according to the, in other words, you live by your appetites tonight. Whatever your body feels like doing, you go ahead and do it. You give in to every longing, every desire. You go ahead and follow your flesh. Uh, you want to get mad? Lose your temper and slap your wife. Go ahead. You want to lust? Go ahead and lust. Go ahead and indulge yourself. You just want to, you, you, you want to gravi- gratify your some desire? Go ahead and just run with it. You want to feel sorry for yourself? Knock yourself out. And Paul says, you live like that, you're going to die. You allow your flesh nature to dominate you, you're going to die. Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says you can tell the genuine Christian because they do not let their flesh tell them what to do. They do not live and allow passion and desire to dominate them. Those are Christ. Something is happening in that man or woman, uh, not because they wear a cross around their neck uh, or because they say, praise the Lord. No, no, no. It's because they do not let passion and desire dominate them. When passions rise or desires come, they have the ability to say to their own body, no, and beat that thing. Make it their, their body, their slave. Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. How many of you are going to fast this week? How many of you are going to, is going to go ahead and have a, 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 I'm trying to think of here in San Antonio what I could uh, use tonight. How many know if you're going to do that, you're not going to, uh, uh, on the way to work, pull over at uh, 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 one of these uh, taco houses and get yourself a nice bean and cheese or carne guisada and just have it just there, you know, just sitting there on the dashboard of your car while you go to work. You're not going to make provision for your flesh. If you're going to have victory, then you're going to steer yourself in an entirely different direction. Because if you make provision for the flesh, then guess what? You are going to indulge your flesh. Then you have to say, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't allow that. I can't permit this. That a successful Christian life is somebody that says, you know what? Why am I making provision for my flesh? Why am I putting myself in this arena? There are people here, there are men here. You cannot handle a smartphone. You can't handle it. It's become a a place of fear. But why do you make provision for that? Why, you know, I I don't understand people get all caught up in in social media, you know, and they're talking about me on social media. Well, then, uh, you know what? Unplug it. Commit Facebook suicide. 
Get out of it. Don't make provision for this. Understand, you know what? There's a part of me that likes this because I like the attention. I like drawing attention to myself. Amen. You know what? If you're going to live for God, you better bring your appetite under control. One thing you're going to find out about, oh, 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon is that you have an appetite. And that thing better get under control. See, here's an interesting little thought from the Apostle Paul. A lot of times as Christians, we want to blame everything on a spirit. You know what I mean? We go through some, that's the spirit, bro. that's the spirit. That's a, that's a spirit on me. That's an the spirit of enchilada. And uh, I'm just rebuking that thing. No, it's not. It's your flesh. It's your fallen nature. And what happens is that we cultivate these appetites in our fallen nature. And now uh, we want to do the right thing. And I mean, it becomes very, very difficult. You know, there was a man named Ivan Pavlov. He's famous because this man was a behaviorist in Russia. And he was studying how, uh, the, uh, how people respond to stimulus. And so what he did is uh, he was noticing that whenever his uh, uh, aide would come in to feed the dogs, that the dogs figured out that that aide meant food. Uh, and when every time the dog would even walk in the room, these dogs all of a sudden would, and they would start salivating. Uh, and he began to notice that just the mere presence of this guy, because he always fed them. So he began to think, can I teach these dogs to respond to certain stimulus? And so what he did is that every time he, they, dogs were given food, he would ring a bell. And so they would do this, and then after a while, the dogs began to associate food with this bell to the point where the moment he just simply rung the bell, the dogs started salivating. He was so windowed, he would actually measure how much saliva they made. But he was able to prove this, this thing that bodies can be trained, that appetites can be stimulated by, by certain uh, sounds and certain pictures. Uh, appetites can be stirred up inside that. That these bodies, I, I don't want to bum you out, but your dog doesn't have a will. Your dog doesn't have a soul. I, I feel you right now, but I'm telling you. But it is, your body is 100% beast. And that body can respond to things and you can train them to respond to certain things and you're thinking oh it's a spirit no it's not a spirit it's what you've been feeding it it's the way you have chosen to stimulate it i'm gonna lose weight this year man you watch i'm gonna get in shape well you're not gonna get in shape unless you change your appetite I'm going to have victory this year over lust. I'm going to have, you're not going to do that unless you say, you know what, I've got to change some triggers in my life. This year, I promise God, I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. And what you, we've created is we've taught our bodies to respond a certain way and over and over again. And now we wonder, oh, no, it's a spirit. It's not a spirit. It said you have allowed your body to get out from under your control. You know, last week, we had this interesting little uh, thing show up at our house on Saturday night. Last night it was cold and, and windy and uh, uh, about 8 o'clock at night, and Raquel was stepping out of the house, and she immediately closed the door. Huh, there's that something out there. A few weeks earlier, we had had a skunk kind of show up nearby, and so we thought, so we go, we all run to the window and look down, and there's this tiny little Dachshund. He's looking up at us saying, please open the door. And uh, 
And we open the door, and he's, he's you know, cold. And it's like, how did this dog show up in my house? I started this conspiracy. I thought that Yolanda and Raquel had planned this, you know, in my mind. And, and uh, you got to know my wife, if, whenever she sees a, a, an animal, they're, they're all babies. And, and so she starts talking baby talk, and the dog, yes, yes. And, and the next thing you know, we're buying food for the dog, you know, and uh, uh, Marcus is trying to find an owner. And so we got this little dog in our house for a little while, you know. And, uh, um, but here's the thing that struck me is that because it was so little, we thought it was a puppy. Miguel Luna said it's about seven years old or eight years old, so that's 56 years old, man. Dog's older than me. And, uh, but one of the giveaways was how obedient this dog was. I mean, he put it down, and he went, and, and uh, Yolanda pointed, and he'd go jump right up there, and just, you know, I, Yolanda, like, you got to take the dog out, you know, and like, oh, man. And so I went out there, and I'm, okay, come on, let's go, come on, let's, you know, let's go, do it, hurry up, I'm cold, you know. And this dog just went out and did his business, you know, and then came, went right back to the, I thought, this is the most incredible puppy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I said, how, how, you know, what it is, is somebody had put that dog under submission, dominion. Do this, do that. And that dog, you know, was like, I said, you know, I'll take a puppy like this. And, uh, you know, what was interesting was that that dominion that said, you know, this is how it's going to be. You know, the problem is that our, a lot of us are, our, our, our bodies are like wild, untrained dogs. They've never been brought, never been taught, never been reined in. And Paul says, you know what, I have to beat my body. I got to make it submit to me. You're going to have victory this year. You're going to have to beat your body. Say, no, 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 I'm not letting my flesh just run loose with its passions and desires. Number two thing that we're going to have to do if we're going to be conditioned to win this year is we're going to have to hold our tongue. Beat our body, and number two, hold our tongue. James 3, he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths so that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Our words have incredible power. Our tongue is the steering wheel of our personality. God has invested so much in the power of the tongue Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the Bible says. Uh, and so uh, if you and I were able to get a handle on our tongue, the Bible says that man or woman that gets a handle on their tongue is a mature man. That there's something but simply saying, I'm going to get a handle on my words. I'm going to tell you something, church. Speaking right is a commitment. That unless you make a decision with how you speak and what you say, your tongue is going to steer you into the ditch. It will constantly lead to relational problems. It will invoke curses on your life. All kinds of things because we do not understand this principle of speaking right. The Bible teaches the tongue is an instrument of blessing or cursing. 
that the tongue is something that uh, we can pray and we can speak blessing over a person's life with our words at the same time. Uh, what do we call profanity? We call it a curse word because of the belief uh, that I can say things that can invoke a curse, that can release uh, a powerful spiritual force for evil uh, against a person's life. You don't believe me? Think about where you are this morning, this evening. And the role that words play. First of all, you're saved. I trust you're saved. You're born again. Do you know why you're saved? Because somebody spoke some words to God on your behalf. And said, God, save them. God, to deliver them, set them free. Not only that, maybe you walked into a church and a preacher preached some words. Or perhaps somebody sat down and spoke the words of the gospel. And you heard those words uh, and you believed. And what did you do? You got down and you said some words to God. And when you did that, uh, you were radically saved and delivered all by the power of words. Words have the ability to bring blessing and confidence into a person's life. If you're a father or a mother and you're raising children, say the right words to your children. Speak blessing on them. Tell them uh, what God wants to do in their life. Uh, speak words of affirmation and hope because when you do that, uh, you are, you are, you're bringing uh, uh, confidence into their life. At the same time, there are people here. God love you, but you have major insecurity issues in your life. And those insecurity issues often are related to criticisms, word curses, a thoughtless uh, parent in a fit of emotion that called you dumb or questioned something about you, uh, and now all of a sudden you, you have this crisis of confidence in your life because uh, somebody in a position of authority spoke these words into your life. That's the power of words. Here you are, maybe years and years later, and you're still trapped by those words. Hold your tongue. Decide, you know what, I, my words have the ability to build, they have the ability to tear down. How much uh, heartache, what, how can my marriage change if my words changed? Well, what, what could be different uh, if we decided not to, in the fit of anger, speak such horrible things to each other? Wise woman, the Bible says, builds her house to foolish, tears it down. You can tear your marriage down. You can tear your husband down with your words. You know what else this has to do with? How you speak words about yourself. What do you say about yourself? Are you someone who likes to think humility is putting yourself down? Many years ago, I used the illustration about the USS Tang. World War II was the most successful American submarine. 32 kills. They're on their way in their very last mission. They're going to retire as the most successful submarine in the world, in World War II. They're on their way out. They're down to their last torpedo. They spot a Japanese ship. They decide they're going to go ahead and launch their final torpedo one more kill, and then they're on their way home for good. They launch this uh, torpedo, but something's wrong with the guidance system in this torpedo. And as it launches this torpedo, rather than being drawn to the Japanese submarine, the guidance system's messed up, and so the torpedo goes, misses the submarine, 
uh, and misses the Japanese ship, turns around and locks in on the, its own submarine. USS Tang, Tang is sunk by its own torpedo. You know, that's what happens with words. You can sink yourself with your words. You can say things about how I'm so dumb or I'm so ugly. You can, in a fit of frustration, that's it, I can't take this anymore. That's it, I'm giving up, I quit, I hate you. I'm going to die. All because you do not know how to hold your tongue and say, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to say anything. There are times where, like the psalmist said, in Psalm 73, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. He's going through it. He's discouraged. He's doubting. He's frustrated. Uh, he thinks the wicked are prospering. But he made up his mind, I'm not going to say it. Even though I'm struggling, I'm not going to speak it because words have power. You're going to win. Hold your tongue. Hey, God, this year, I am going to be careful before things come out, and I'm going to choose my words carefully. One last thing, and then we'll pray, and that is not only you got to beat your body, you got to hold your tongue. Number three, you got to keep your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, you can have a disciplined body tonight. You can bridle your tongue. But if you do not keep your heart, in the end, you will lose. Adam is put into the garden, the Bible says, to keep the garden. Literally, it means to tend it. If God said to Adam, you're going to have to tend this garden. It's a wonderful place, but it requires attention. The scripture says you've got to tend to your heart. Your heart requires attention. If you do not pay attention to it, then things are going to begin to grow there. Jesus gives us even a better picture. In Matthew 12, he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Two truths about your heart tonight and my heart tonight. Number one is your heart is a repository. It is a treasure. It is the place where things are kept for safekeeping. And Jesus says the thing about your heart is stuff happens to you, and some of that stuff and the way you choose to deal with it, you deposit in your heart. You put it there for good or for bad. He says there are men, if you were to go into their hearts and open it up, you will find good treasures because they're good men. You would open it up and you would find gratitude and you would find a humility and you would, and, and this is how they've responded to life. Things, people have done things and there's such an, a gratitude and appreciation uh, in their heart for that individual uh, uh, that maybe they've been blessed, but down in their heart they know, you know what, uh, I, 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 um, I, this is really, people may think I'm great, but I know it's all the grace of God. And you open their heart and Jesus says there are good treasures there because the way they process life uh, is they've made these deposits because your heart's a repository. Jesus says, on the other hand, there are men who are evil. And if you were to go to their heart, you will find that what they have placed in their heart are all the bad things that have happened to them. They process life by, you know what, they burned me. 
They betrayed me. They, they ripped me off, and uh, I've been overlooked, uh, and I'm unappreciated. Uh, and, and somehow they, they've taken all the events of life that are bad, uh, and they have chosen to deposit all the bad things uh, in their heart um, because our hearts are a repository tonight. And unless you pay attention to your heart and tend to it, if you're not careful, beloved, because we live in a fallen world and we live with imperfect people, we can store up all kinds of bad stuff in our heart. Your heart is not just a repository. Your heart is a dispensary. Because the Bible says all of life flows from your heart. In other words, what you have in your heart will eventually come out. It will find expression. The proverb says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, what is in your heart? Now, here's a mistake we all make, church, and that is because people can't see our heart, we think we can fool people. A hidden man of the heart, the Bible says. And so we'd say, you know what, I may have all this junk in my heart. Who's going to know? I'm going to come and I'm going to have my Bible and I'm going to say praise the Lord and I'm going to sing and I'm going to be the loudest person in prayer. And everybody, because who can see my heart? Jesus says, mark it down. What is in your heart will eventually find expression. Jim Fix is considered the running guru, wrote a book on running. Jim Fix used to run 80 miles a week for 15 years. Jim Fix ran 80 miles a week. One day while running, Jim Fix had a heart attack and dropped dead. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's why I don't run, Pastor Ruby, right there, you know. <laughs> that's it, yeah, okay, you know. I was about to start. That was my, honey, mark that off our resolution right there. Because you can have a healthy body and have a bad heart. You can be Mr. or Miss Discipline and have a bad heart. I read the word. I pray. But yet, and down in the heart, man, it's all messed up. Because you've allowed the wrong things to be deposited there. You haven't tended it. You haven't worked it through. And go, oh, no, 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 nobody can see, nobody can know. But Jesus says it begins to make its way out. It brings forth something very ugly, something very evil. And the Bible says it reaches into every issue of our lives. It becomes corrupted or tainted because we haven't tended our heart. Ezra, I preached on Ezra, our hero, this morning. The Bible says of Ezra, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Conditioned himself. That, okay, be, before I'm publicly doing anything, I'm preparing my heart to be able to do those things. Not just I'm learning a few skills here. Teach me how to preach, Pastor. Uh, show me how to study the Bible. No, no, no. He says, I want to prepare my heart. And having done that, he was certain that out of that heart will flow good things. The Apostle Paul, the message translation in our verse says, I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out. Myself. Think what Paul says. He says, I beat my body into submission. 
Because my fear is that after I have preached to others, I myself will be disqualified. You know, do you know that that verse of Scripture troubles a lot of people? What is Paul talking about there? Can a man lose his salvation? Someone even as great and as accomplished as the Apostle Paul is saying that one of the things that motivates him to, to, to keep himself conditioned is because he didn't want to be one of those preachers that had a powerful ministry. And did you hear about him? Yeah, well, he's no longer, do you hear? He's not even a Christian anymore. And Paul says, that drives me. That motivates me. He said, I'm painfully aware of this possibility. One early Greek writer said, if Paul, so great a man, one who had preached and labored so much, dreaded this, what cause have we to fear lest this should befall us? That was spoken by a commentator nearly 2,000 years ago. And he is saying, whoa, whoa, this is not light stuff. This is not something that we just dismiss. This is serious business. Oh, God, help me that I don't find myself oh, so involved in ministry, but at some point, I'm disqualified. I'm turned away because I would not understand simple truths of keeping condition. See, I don't know what's going to happen in 2015. Church, none of us do. But we have to make a commitment. We're going to condition ourselves. I'm going to deal with my body and its appetites. I'm going to hold my tongue. When I want to say it, I'm going to stop and say, God, should I say this? And I'm going to tend to my heart. I'm going to take a good look inside and say, God, what is in the treasury there? And if, if I'm tolerating things that I know that shouldn't be there, I cannot say to myself, oh, well, nobody will know. Jesus says it always comes out. How much better to come and say, God, I need you to restore my heart. our heads. Simple truths, but they are a challenge to every one of us this evening. Maybe you're here and you came along to this service, you're not saved, you're not right with God. Friend, you need forgiveness tonight. You need God's love and God's mercy to help you, the blood of Jesus to cleanse and make you whole. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from tonight. The gospel is for you. Jesus Christ, God's son, died on a cross, shed his blood. Sinners. All of us, we all qualify as sinners. And we, in Christ, you can find forgiveness. The innocent died for the guilty. Through him, you can be saved. I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, Pastor Ruby, I'm not right with God. I need God to help me tonight. Would you pray for me? Lift up your hand. Put it up high where I can see it. By raising your hand, you're saying, pray for me, Pastor Ruby. I'm not right with God. Slip it up before we do anything else. I want to give you an opportunity to be saved. Maybe you're backslidden. Lift up your hand. God wants to help you tonight. Would you lift up your hand? Before we move on, I want to give you an opportunity all around this building. Hold on for just a moment. Maybe you're not saved or you're backslidden. and You need to give your heart to Christ tonight. Would you respond? Hallelujah. Before we do anything else. How are the gospel tonight to save and to deliver?
know, this evening, church, very simple message, conditioning. It has to be more than cliches. It has to be more than, well, in that arena, pastor, I, I, I'm just going to do the right thing. Paul said, listen, good athletes condition themselves. They prepare because this is serious business. He says, I've got I've to run to win. I'm going to run to win. And I've got I've to right now make some decisions. I've got to say, you know what, God, I want to win more than anything else. Every one of us lugs around. Old fallen nature called our flesh, this body, death. If you're not careful, you will allow your, your body to dictate through passions and desires, dominate you, frustrate you, condemn you. Paul says, you know what? I learned that I've got to beat my body. I've got to crucify my flesh. I've got to say, no, no, no. I'm not going to be someone who's been dictated to by, by impulses. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have control. There are people this year, God's dealing with them, beginning in this fast, saying, you know what? Things are going to change this year. Very easy. Oh, well, it's just a spirit. Well, a lot of times, not a spirit. It's just a body that's been allowed to run free. Maybe this evening, it's your tongue. This year, you're going to make up your mind, God, I'm going to get a handle on my tongue because the tongue has the ability to cause a forest fire the ability to destroy. But you know what? If you get dominion over your tongue, it has the ability to affirm. It has the ability to bless. He wants to help you tonight. You know what, church? As we enter this fast, why not take a look inside the treasure? And God, what have I been putting in the treasury of my heart? Have I been placing every grievance, every violation? Or have I rather posited every good thing, every act of kindness and appreciation? Because what's in our heart is going to come out. Let's stand together and open these altars this evening. and Let's prepare ourselves for this year. Let's seek God this evening and allow God to have his way in our hearts and our lives. These altars are open. We're going to worship God tonight.